13. And today we have another special guest, LaShawn G. How are you, miss? I am wonderful and amazing. I hope you are as well today. Yes, we are. Um, definitely been looking forward to this one. Um, before we even get started, I think it's important to mention that um, you are an All-American. And for our UK audience, this is uh, an individual that is seen as one of the best in the US in their field. Am I correct? I definitely do hold that title. Yes, I, I'm very proud of that performance. I tend to not, <laughs> I tend to not toot my own horn, but in this case, you know, you have to, you have to acknowledge what you've done, right? Absolutely. You have to acknowledge the good stuff. Absolutely. We will toot that horn for you. Beep, 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 beep. <laughs> Let's do something different. So... I was going through your Instagram and I see you like quotes. So let me read one of the quotes. Walking your journey and staying in your lane will bring you the results you're supposed to have. Tell the audience, what does that mean to you? So <clears throat> walking in your journey, staying in your lane, you know, literally it's when I thought about it and I usually think of quotes and, and captions and things very organically. I, I tend to not plan them out sometimes, which can be a flaw for me, yeah. but I, I cannot put something out there that I haven't lived through. And for me, I've definitely been in, uh, I've been a, accusing of myself of imposter syndrome. Yeah. You know, or comparison. And when we live in that space where we're constantly looking at someone else's feed, looking at someone else's blog, listening to someone else's podcast, and we're comparing it to something that we're already doing, it's so robotic and mechanical. And we feel like we have to do this and we have to do that. And if we don't do it this way, it's not going to work. When in fact, if we focus on the journey that we are running, the, the path that we are walking, then one, it's going to put us in our purpose yeah. because we're following what God has for us. Yeah. Second, if we stay in our lane versus someone else's lane, now I'm from the track and field world. Yeah. Track and field is made of lanes, right? Mm -hmm. If you run into someone else's lane, what happens? You get disqualified. Yeah. Think about that for life. Yeah. When you stay in your lane, you know, one, you're going to finish the race and two, you're going to finish it the way that you are supposed to. Mm. But if you, as soon as you go into someone else's lane, as soon as you try to do something that someone else is doing, or, you know, you're trying to follow this cookie cutter recipe to do something, yeah. it's going to, it's not going to feel good mm. and you're not going to finish it and be pleased the way that you would had you done it yourself following your own recipe. I think that's the mistake that we, we can make in life is you focus too much on what other people are doing and not focus on our journey. Everyone's journey is different and we're all going to get that at different times. Obviously, you mentioned track and field. So let's, let's go back to what, what got you interested in sport? I was peer pressured. <laughs> if, if, if I may be honest um, so when I first started my love for sport honestly it came from watching the Olympics and okay. not just the Summer Olympics but the Winter Olympics I loved the ice skating and I, I loved seeing how people navigated on these big huge hills and doing these stunts in the air I loved seeing that yeah. but when the Summer Olympics came it was just the the rawness of everyone's pure talent on yeah. showcase really to, you know to see who's the best that's yeah. what the olympics is is to see who is the best and the, the strongest and the fastest and who can throw the farthest and i really admired um Flojo, Florence yeah. Griffith Joyner, and I admired the fact that she was she owned who she was. Yeah. And even though I didn't start sports at a very very young age like a lot of people tend to do, I was still in it. I still watched it. I still watched I watched basketball even though I never played. I yeah. spent my time and my career in cross country yeah. um, in the fall indoor track in the winter and outdoor track in the spring. And I started, I didn't start until I was 12 or 13. Okay. 
but I competed until uh, until I was done with college, so 22, and then from 22 to 33, yeah. I competed on and off. Yeah. So it's been a part of my life, and and during that time also, I started coaching. So it's just it's ingrained in me, yeah. and I love to see how how I progress through the sport. I love to see how others progress through the sport through my teaching. Yeah. With regards to starting at 12 or 13, what were the benefits of starting a little bit later compared to, you know, the average where people start a lot earlier? Did you find that you had any benefits over um, those that started earlier than yourself? Oh, definitely. And this might be a a, a one person audience when I say this and maybe not. But for me, I didn't get burnout. And I and I have I heard conversation after conversation after conversation of people talking about their, you know, stopping sports after high school or getting to college and then just really not having the love for it anymore. And because they've done it since they were three years old or four years old. And I mean, where I'm from, we had this uh, event at at school called Field Day. So Field Day was very mimicking of like your school's Olympics. Yeah. That's where I got my fill. I got my fill at field day and, you know, I'm a child of the eighties. So we went outside and played. That's where I had, you know, I had my time to play and have fun with my family and my friends. I, when I wanted to compete, I did that with my family and friends and then I did it on field day. So by the time I got to to my sport, which I I was peer pressured into it when I got to eighth (laughs) grade, um, my friends were like, you should run track. You should come out to the track team with us. And in my mind, it was like, I mean, but I like skating. So I'm, you mean I have to take away my skating weekends to go run? But eventually, you know, I started on the track team and I realized that I was really good. Mm. And not only that, I had a coach. And to this day, he is the person that motivated me the most, believed in me the most, you know, at the very, very beginning. And it taught me so much about discipline, having the proper mindset, leadership. And I could take that and carry it through high school and through college and into adulthood. So, and and not having that burnout, oh my gosh, I, I'm so grateful that I was able to enjoy my sport yeah. versus feeling like I don't want to do this anymore. Because of sport having so much money, certain sports have so much money in it, you find that a lot of parents put pressure on their children from a very, very young age to get into sport. By the time they're at the age where they could go pro, they're, they're thinking, no, I don't want to do it. I'm sick of it. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. And, and then that's the other thing. I, I think I got a chance. Um, my father is no longer with us, but I got a chance to really just be with my parents, you know, nurture those relationships. And and I, this is not a slap in the face to anyone who puts their kids in sports. I think it, I think doing it correctly and having the balance between letting them decide what they want to do and spending time with your children, um, nurturing that relationship is so, so, so important. Uh, I just think for, for me and, and the way that I grew up, it had me enjoy childhood. Yeah. Uh, I think I'm, I've been um, deliberating as to whether there should be an age limit. Um, so over here, you call it soccer, we call it football. So people, we, uh, people can join clubs at about five or six years old. And sometimes you just think to yourself, is that just so early? Is that a little bit too early for these kids? And it and it puts, you know, uh, potential um, pressure on maybe not the kids because they're probably not aware of it at that age, but more on the parents. And 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 from the the parental pressure, they almost um, you know f- filter that down onto the those kids. And. Uh, you know, I'm not sure as to whether there should be an age limit as to, you know, should there be a limit of maybe, you know, start at nine years old, join clubs at 10 years old. But I think there's definitely another discussion that has to be had about, um, you know, I guess young, talented individuals just being able to play without um, the pressure. So it's really interesting that what both um, LaShawn and Ed, you um, just said, 
um, for me, can you talk to us about the transition, the, uh, you know, the transition from joining your first field team and really becoming a team player? Talk to us about that process, the embryonic stages of you joining your first field team. Joining my first team was, uh, I was so green, right? Because one, I'm, you know, a, a teenager, as you call it, and not quite a teenager, but, you know, you're entering that stage where social, socialization is still very important. Um, how you look to your friends is still important. And don't want anyone to judge you. But for me, joining a team that was already embracing of me and who I was and the abilities that I had was so important to me. I I still am very, very great friends with a lot of the team members that I had when I first started competing. Yeah. And I think, um, and, and for me, so in the States, well, I'll, I'll speak to my state, the state of Virginia and my school, we trained with, um, middle school, junior high school and high school together. And where I was, we couldn't start, uh, junior varsity or varsity sport until we were in, uh, seventh or eighth grade. Yeah. So we competed. I competed with high schoolers. So I had teammates who were freshmen, sophomores, juniors, seniors in high school. And to know that they eventually over time of my eighth grade, ninth grade year started looking to me as a leader made me step up. So again, there's that nurturing, that camaraderie, that I, I craved, you know, you, if you're a part of a team, you want to be a part of something and you don't want to feel like you're on this Island mm. by yourself. Yeah. And that was something that I really, really am grateful for. And I also acknowledge that a lot of teams aren't like that. A lot of teams, especially with track and field, they consider men's women's, they trained it separately. Yeah. Well, for us, we all train together. Boys and girls teams train together. When I got to college, same thing. Men and women train together. Yeah. And it just brings a sense of family. So I, I truly did get that through high school, middle school, high school, and college. And I created that with my teams that mm. I coached. And having that family feel, did it put less pressure on you when you were competing? Uh, less pressure... Not really, not for me, because mm -hmm. track and field isn't, we considered it a team sport, but in the eyes of the world, it's an individual sport. You know, you get on that line and it's you and your race against other people who are not a part of your team. Um, when you get on that runway, it's just you. So for me, I probably had more pressure on myself because I wanted to be able to say I contributed to my team. Um, it's We considered it more of a team because there were meets that were team scored. Yeah. And so you want to be able to contribute. I wanted to contribute, so I pushed myself to do the very best that I could in practice um, with my habits and routines around practice and academics. And... I made sure that my grades stayed up. I made sure that that I could compete uh, when it was when it's time to travel. Are my grades good enough that I can compete? Because if they weren't, I don't even know that my mom and dad would have had a chance to say you can't compete because I would have been hard hard on myself to say you know what I, I didn't do what I need to do in these last couple of weeks. I'm not gonna you know I don't want to go because I need to study. Um, so I probably put more pressure on myself. I think where the pressure was taken off, though, yeah. was in knowing that I wasn't alone. Yeah. There was always someone cheering for me. Mm. And, and, and I felt like that towards my teammates. If I look around the track, if I look in the field areas, there was always something that you could do, always someone that you could cheer on. And so that pressure of feeling like, oh, my gosh, I'm alone in this was taken away because yeah. of the type of team I had. Mm. With regards to um, your event, so what event did you do? And also, what makes your event unique? Huh. Ah, so 
Okay, I was I was recruited and I gained all American status in uh, long jump and hurdles. So long jump and short hurdles, meaning indoors, fifty-five meter hurdles, sixty meter hurdles, outdoor, hundred meter hurdles. Yes. Uh, but I I I ran everything. <laughs> I ran everything. I remember my very very first meet. My very first meet. Uh, as a uh, varsity athlete, my freshman year, my coach put me in the 1600 meter and the 55 meter dash. Wow. In the same meet. <laughs> wow. And I joke with him to this day, like, what were you thinking? <laughs> and he's like, well, and he, call, he used to call me by my last name. Well, gee, I mean, you, you ran cross country in the fall. I just thought you could do both. You're fast too. So I thought you could do both. And I did. I, I did both. I did both pretty well on that in that first uh that first meet. But my love was long jump and hurdles. And eventually, uh maybe my tenth grade year, eleventh grade year, I started doing triple jump. And I absolutely love that. It's it's a very challenging event, mm-hmm. but is so beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um the technique around that event alone is just it's it's magnificent and i love to see other people do it i love to do it myself i still think at you know i'll be 40 next month at 40 i can still jump 40 feet (laughs) 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 we'll see it remains to be seen but it's just one of those events where if it's going on and no matter where i am i will stop to watch it Uh, long jump triple jump I, i love it too and yeah, triple jump. People don't realize how how much of an enjoyment it is to do. Um, there's so many different phases, and if you don't, if you get one phase wrong, yeah, so it's a wrap. It throws off the whole, <laughs> off the whole jump. So it, the mechanics behind it, the technique behind it, the training behind it is uh, is serious. I mm-hmm. was told one day that triple jump is the equivalent of playing an entire basketball game. So when people say, oh my gosh, your sport is easy. It's like, no, my sport is your sports warm up. <laughs> I, uh, I, I throw that into people who think that, you know, track and field is, is something to, you know, just kind of play around with. And, and in fact, you know, you're really exercising discipline and, and practicing technique and work ethic in so many different parts of your body to mm. be and perform at a high level um, and you're doing that day after day after day yeah I think I really want to stay on this subject because when I think of long jump when I think of triple jump I think of um, it's very similar to boxing so boxers when they're in the gym they're constantly just in front of that mirror and they're doing shadow boxing and they're doing the same they might be doing the same move for about an hour and they and what they might do they might be coming back and every day and they're doing the same thing over and over and over and over again and this could be going you know through a throughout a period where it could be i don't know eight week eight to ten week um you know period comes to fight night and then boom they get that knockout absolutely perfect i really want you to really um talk to us about the training and the discipline because i know you you mentioned it but really give some examples of the dedication and what you had to do in day in day out to really excel in both long jump and triple jump so for me I, and i think that is an amazing analogy it really is it's about the consistency of it all right if you don't zero in and get laser focused on mastering your technique then you will never get to that place that you want to be in and and we're, we're just speaking of you know jumps right we're just speaking of long jump and triple jump and the smallest tweak can make the difference between a half inch you know over the board or not touching the board at all, or catapulting you to a a trajectory where you are getting up off the board and out into the sand, or you're just flat out, you know, a flat jump, what we call a flat jump, where you're not getting any height, which takes away from the jump. So it's, it's so, so much fine tuning on a daily basis. And for me, that really, I mean, I, 
I can't say I didn't have like a childhood. I didn't have time where I had social time with my friends because I did, but I definitely still sacrificed. I think more than a lot of people, um, would have at 15, 16, 17, you know, because I wanted to be the best in my sport. I wanted to be the best in my event. So when, you know, a gathering was happening, I mean, I I still have practice, you know, I'm getting home. And when I get home, I still have to eat dinner. I still have to make sure my, my schoolwork is done. And then let's not forget the most important part of it all. I have to rest Mm. because if you're doing all this training on such a regular basis, high on a, on a high intensity day or low intensity day where you're strictly working on technique, rest is where you recover. Yeah. And if you're not recovering, you're not your best for the next practice. So I, I had, I had to be very diligent in my routine. Um, that's, I think that's where I birthed my, my whole coaching program and, and what I teach and what I speak on is, yeah. is discipline habits, routine, and it might seem mundane to people, but Hey, it, it works, yeah. you know, having that structure, having that, those habits and routines in place works. And, and you, if you do it right, you don't get that overwhelm. You are able to still live life, right? Cause we're still humans. We still yeah. want to go out. We still want to have good yeah. food. We still want to have a good drink from time to time, yeah. but nothing is in excess. And that's yeah. the other thing that I can say. I trained and I trained and I trained and what I loved and can appreciate and really toot my horn on as a part of my training, I trained with people who were better than me. I didn't train just with people just to, to, to blow them out of the water and practice and to be better than them, you know, when it comes to like, look, see me. I trained with people who were better than me. And a lot of the time that was, that meant I was training with the guys. One of my closest, closest friends, um, I was blessed to be able to be on a team with him in high school and college. So we both ended up going to the same college as well. And I mean, I'm forever grateful to him because, and and we're dear friends. He's like a brother to me now. Uh, He taught me when I was young, when I was 13 years old, 14 years old, learning about work ethic, learning about discipline, watching him work, watching his discipline, watching him come back home after college, you know, on break and teaching us things that he was learning that pay it forward, yeah. you know, really, really mattered. And it, it forced me to activate discipline at a very young age where a lot of young people might not be thinking about discipline. They're, they're thinking about this video game that just came out and I want to play. They're thinking about, I want to go be with my friends and they, you know, not realizing, Hey, you can have both. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How did you find balancing training for for hurdles and training for triple jump and long jumps. I know the training is quite different. So it's about trying to fit them in. How did you balance it? Well, I I think that <laughs> through some psychology, mm-hmm. my coaches really had us think of them as uh, coexisting and being aligned yeah. in training. So when you are when you are jumping in reality, it's really uh, an extended sprint. You're just, you just have little blips of time where you're off the ground. Well, when you sprint, there's tinier blips where you're off the ground. So you're just extending that when you get on the runway. And it's just a slight interruption in that sprint because you still have to be fast. Uh, the way that I looked at, at long jump and triple jump, especially when I was in high school, I just, I don't know where this came from, but I excuse my French, it was like, I got to run like a bat out of hell when I'm (laughs) on jumping. I just got to run, hit the board, get up and get out. But with triple jump, I realized and I learned very early that it is such a more speed controlled event. So yes, you still have to be fast, but it's so much more of a cadence and 
and uh, technique that that comes with that sprint because you have to have longer blips off the air when it comes to those phases and you have to be ready to transition from phase to phase to phase. Yeah. So the way that I learned it was it's not different. It's the same because when you hurdle, it's that extended blip off the ground. Yeah. And it's and people say um, people who are not versed in track and field will say jump hurdles, right? Mm. But I learned, again, at a very young age, you don't jump hurdles, you run hurdles. So it's a sprint with yeah. an exaggerated blip. You know, you have five exaggerated blips if you're in indoors. You have 10 exaggerated blips if you're in outdoor. And that's, again, everyone doesn't get this when you're young. And I wish, I wish that, they did. And I'm glad that as a coach, I'm able to, to transition this uh, to my, give this information to my athletes because there's so much learning of your sport that you get to do to be able to master it. And not to say if you know, you're going to coach it when you get older, but when, when you really take the time to learn your craft, it matters and you become so much more of a master at it yourself. Yeah. And you're able to just understand and process the information better. With So, um, you know, both Ed and I, we endorse um, the growth mindset concepts. And I've tried um, the triple jump. I tried it when I was younger. But I think very early on, um, I realized that I was really, really bad. And I think that's where a fixed mindset actually stayed with me because I just honestly felt I just couldn't do it. So I guess my next question to you is what early tips um, were given to you um, in you, in, you know, becoming a lot better in your technique, but also, um, you know, getting um, good jumps? Repetition. <laughs> repetition, repetition, repetition. We would have days where let's sit, let's utilize triple jump, right? Because there's so many different phases in triple jump. Or we could even use long jump. But when you are going to from a sprint to hitting the board and you're going into that first phase, that is a whole entire technique to be mastered. Yeah. Because that cycle off the board matters. And if you don't cycle, it's not going to extend your phase going, extend you going into the, that momentum going into the second phase. And then that, if you, if you don't get that knee up in that second phase, right, that, that momentum is not going to get you as far into the pit as you would like to go. So we would take time and first phase, first phase, first phase, first phase, you know, do a pop-up, you know, do uh, run-throughs, make sure you're on the board, you know, because that's what truly matters. You can have a 50-foot jump, but if you're over the board, guess what? It doesn't count. <laughs> so, you know, that that repetition for us was solid. We would have days where we only work on first phase, or we then once we felt like we we mastered that first phase okay let's add first and second and we will work first and second yeah. or we would stop and work on the second phase and it feels very weird i don't know if you've broken down triple jump in a way where you only work on one phase at a time but it feels very weird to only work on second phase in mm. the triple jump because yeah. it's it's only an ex extension right you're once you come out of that cycle phase and you go into that knee drive that knee drive is just the momentum getting further out onto that runway so yeah. that when you land you can then make that last phase jumping into the pit. So it's just how long can you keep this knee up? Mm. And you'd be surprised how sore you can be when you finish doing a second phase 20 times, mm. you know, just that's, that's all hips. It's all hips. It's all core. And that is what made my teammates and myself the, the athletes that we were because I think every year I was in school from middle school, eight, from eighth grade starting track until I graduated and even maybe a couple of years after, 
at least one or more of us went to college on a scholarship in track. That's how much our coach cared. That's how much we cared about each other and how much we pushed each other. And in, and that, that momentum just kept going, kept going. So for us, repetition was super important and really, uh, being there for each other, cheering, cheering each other on that matters. People might think it's corny, but if you, somebody's cheerleader, it means the world because you don't know what happens when they leave the track. Yeah. You know, you don't know what's going on at their home unless that's your sibling and you live with them. You have no idea what their, what their experience is when they're not around you. So to be there and be there for your teammates in a, in a space where you all can grow together that's that growth mindset. Yeah. We pushed each other to that, to, to have that growth mindset throughout our training. And it did wonders for all of us. I think we don't sometimes realize how important it is to have people around us um, push us. Um, we, we might have that within us, but sometimes to get to that next level, you need that, that person saying, come on, you can do it. Oh, absolutely. And and not only that, the, the, the people who are cheering you on, are the same people calling you out like oh you late to practice oh so you don't you don't believe in yourself enough oh you think this is a game this is not a game this is what we do you know those same people who are cheering you on will will call you out in love as well and and that push to to let to let you know oh this is serious we take this serious and i mean i've coached teams where i mean kids will skip practice in a minute and you're like do you not love this stuff do i love this more than you there's a quote that i tell my students uh i used to say to my students all the time and it's and i would tell them listen i want this for you i really do but i cannot want this more than you yeah you know and because i'm not in your shoes i'm not running this race for you so if you are dedicated if you are determined to get the wins that you want, if you're dedicated to get the the accolades that you want to have, then you will do this work and you will do it to excellence. You know, not not perfection. I don't push that on anyone because none of us are. Yeah. But working in excellence means that you are giving everything that you can. Yeah. With the abilities that you have. Yeah. On. On multiple occasions, you have mentioned um, your coach um, in a positive light. Can you talk about the, can you describe the impact your coach or coaches have had on you? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I, I Most of the time when I speak of my coach, I speak of my high school coach. Uh, I was with him, I would say the longest. Uh, his name is John Keeler. Um, he is still alive and kicking with us. And he's not, although he's not at the school that, you know, I graduated high school from anymore, but that man was the best motivator. Um, he was the best person to, he could sell you, you know, water. If you <laughs> were at the pool, he could sell you water, yeah. but it wasn't about, uh, the smoke and mirrors, you know, some people say that and it's like, oh, you're trying to be manipulative. No, it, it wasn't about him being manipulative. He just knew how to talk to all of us. And when he talked to you, he talked to you as if it was just you and, and he believed in you and he talked to you in the way that worked for you. A lot of times as coaches, there's this blanket conversation because you, you have a lot of athletes. We had, I mean, there were times we had 60 people on our team, you know, between, you know, boys and girls, There's a lot of people to manage. And, you know, he had assistants and they all were amazing people um, as a, as a unit, as a unit of coaches. Yeah. Um, but coach Keeler, would let us know, listen, if you want to, if you qualify for nationals, we're going to go to nationals. I don't know where the money is coming from, but we're going to work it out. And every year we went to nationals, somebody qualified. We went, I qualified for nationals. My ninth grade year, 10th grade year, 11th grade year, 12th grade year. I did not miss nationals Mm. in indoor or outdoor. I did not miss going. He made a way. And that I think was, uh, 
another example to me of discipline. That man was disciplined enough to utilize his assistance, to utilize our community, to band together to make it happen for his student athletes. And if he felt that you had what it took to move on and you wanted, and you also wanted it, because that was the other thing. If you don't want it, you know, he's not going to pressure you, but if you want it, he will make a way for you. He will find a way for you. And I'm forever grateful to him for that because, you know, I, growing up, I'm the first person in my family um, to go to a, a four-year university. Yeah. Uh, my, my siblings went to school. They, they did some sort of, you know, um, higher education. But to be able to leave home, go to a university for four years away from home and only come back on breaks, I was the first person to do that. And he believed in me enough that even though it wasn't spoken about at home, it was like, you know, you're going to graduate and you're going to work or you're going to go to school or you can do whatever you want to do. I mean, no one was ever <laughs> against going to school, but no one yeah. ever talked about going to school. Yeah. Coach Keeler was like, Oh, you're going to get a full scholarship somewhere. And he made, you know, he was a catalyst for making uh, avenues for that to happen, exposing us to big meets, exposing us to um, athletes who are better than us, exposing us to talent that we would not have other would not have otherwise been around. He would take us to, to North Carolina to compete. We we went to Tennessee to go compete. We you know we he took us places. And again, a lot of teams are not afforded that. A lot of, a lot of coaches do not give that opportunity to their student athletes. My coach did, and I'm forever grateful. Yeah. Important to have a coach have that around. And that's how you get your best results. When you don't feel you have the support of your coach, sometimes that can affect your confidence. Um, so it's, it's vital. Exactly. It does. And as a coach myself, <clears throat> I leaned into what I what was planted in me as a young person and knowing that I had that support and, and I had support from my, my, from the assistant coaches. I had support, you know, my, my college coaches, you know, they, they all did amazing jobs, but if I have to choose one who was most impactful, my high school coach yeah. was most impactful and, and his team of assistants, um, they just really, cared you know when you meet a person and they you can tell that they genuinely care about what they do who they impact he was that person yeah so having that it spilled over into me and now I can spill that over into my student athletes and the clients that I train I mean I wasn't just a coach. I haven't always just been a coach. I've been a personal trainer. And yeah. even as a discipline and mindset coach, the people that I talk to and work with all the time, I pour into them because I want them to know that I hear you. I see your goal. You know, I, I hear you telling me the goals that you have for yourself. I hear you telling me the things that you want to do as a student athlete, yeah. maturating through college. And I believe that that can happen. And I am here to help you make that happen by helping you shift your mindset from a fixed mindset to a growth mindset, helping you implement strategies that work for you so that you don't go into overwhelm, so that you don't give up. Because a lot of us, and in particular, female student athletes, so many of us stop sports after high school. You know, there's not a lot of, of females who I competed with on my team who went on to run, you know, or went on to do any other sports. And that's something that I am a champion of also is getting these young girls to continue sports, getting the, the young women who are in college to continue in their sport and, and train through because there's so much more to learn than just competing. Yeah. You know, yeah. there's, there's so much more. You, you learn discipline, you learn work ethic, you learn habits, you learn structure, you learn leadership. And I think that that is so important for everyone, but 
my audience, one of my target audiences are female student athletes. And I definitely want to be to them who I wish I had when I was in high school and college. Yeah. It's funny you say that because I think back to when I ran and some of the best um, female athletes that I know or knew at the time, they never went pro and they just stopped. They just stopped. And it, it happens a lot. I think that's because we, as women, and, and, you know, I have to say, you know, even it crossed my mind quite a few times just to to stop. I'm, I'm done, you know, once I graduated, but there was more that I felt I had in me to keep going, which is why I did have some post-collegiate competition time. But I think women in general have the, this fork in the road where literally it's like, Oh my goodness, I want to start a family. Oh my goodness. I, you know, I, you know, but what about finding a, finding a spouse, finding a partner who's going to do this life with me and starting a family. And Oh my goodness, what does that look like when I have a full-time job? I can't train and have a job. All of these things matter. Am I going to be judged? Um, I, there's a huge disparity in, in, in equity, in, in, sports for women in general, but when it comes to motherhood, when it comes to your career, it's, it's so the, the pay range in itself is so just different. It's huge versus what a, you know, a basketball player makes versus a a male basketball player versus a women's basketball player. We're not going to talk about track and field because I mean, unless you have endorsements, Mm. you have to have another job. (laughs) You have to have something else that you are doing. And so I think for women, because we think about those things primarily, we tend to, uh, the first thing that tends to go for us is this what may be deemed extracurricular activity once you hang up your spikes after graduation and even going into college i think that transition of graduating high school going to college there's intimidation there you know because you get to there's a there's a definite uh a, there's a definition of great athletes in high school, standout athletes in high school and everyone else. When you get to college, it's there, but really and truly everybody is great. Yeah. And so you have to decide, am I the little fish now, Mm. you know, in this big pond or am I, you know, this big fish in this little pond because maybe I went to a smaller school and maybe I don't have the same caliber of coach or training available to me. I don't think many people take those things into consideration and when, and then don't forget burnout, right? Because some people have been competing since they were three years old, five years old. And when that sport takes a toll on your body and you, and now you have the option to do it, most people won't. So I think for me, well, I'm a massive advocate of um, female in sports. And I think that was birthed from when I went to, I actually went to America um, for one year, part of my university program. And I can remember playing football over there and there was a girl there. And even up until now, she is one of the best football players I've ever seen. I've ever, ever seen. And I can remember leaving, I can remember leaving and telling um, some of my friends back home in England, yeah, the the, the girls over here, the, the, the American girls over here are absolutely crazy. They're better than most of the guys. It was just honestly completely foreign to me. So I guess um, it's always been in me as well that, you know, female in sports, um, they should definitely be be given more coverage and it should definitely be more of an opportunity for, for young girls to get into sports. My question to you is because, because this is such a, a, a rich question and I know we can't answer it. So I guess it's more of a personal question to you. Um, how are you ensuring that this, this, this status quo is changing and that females are actually taking sports um, more seriously? Well, I don't hide it that I am a forever athlete. I don't hide it. I don't hide that 
I work out. I don't hide that I work out and I lift heavy. Those are things that intimidate young girls and even older, you know, women, you know, my age and in their twenties and thirties, yeah. <clears throat> there's this ideal. I don't want to, I don't want to get bulky. I don't want to lift heavy because I'm going to look like a man. And the first thing that I ask them is, do I look like a man? And they'll say, well, no, but I mean, and then I have to, you know, have to gently pause them and let them know, listen, there is a way to do it. There's a method to do it. If you're open to doing it, it's still work, yeah. but there is, there is a way to do it and, and, and still be active. Cause really it's about being active. When I advocate in my advocating for uh, women in sports, young girls getting into sports and young women continuing to be active. That's what it's about. It's about movement. Let's just get moving and keep moving because that's going to give you longevity. It extends your lifespan years. Yeah. And it doesn't take a lot. I think a lot of people think that you have to spend all this time in the gym and you have to spend all this time doing a certain thing once you get past a certain age. Yeah. That's just not true. Um, for a small period of time of your life, if you are in sports, yes, you will yeah. dedicate your life to giving your all and putting your all into this sport and your academics. And that's your focus when you're in, in middle school, high school, college, post-collegiate. That's a small blip of your life. Yeah. But before you start sports, there's so many things that you can do to just get active. Yeah. You know, that's the time where I think for, and we're speaking of young girls, where it's like, you want to cheer? Go cheer. You want to dance? Go dance. You want to yeah. try gymnastics? Okay, we can we can do a little bit of everything, but it's about movement. It's about activity, and don't forget good old fashioned going outside and playing. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. You just have to continue to encourage it. So rather than encourage screen time, right? Let's encourage going out and skating, going out and just going for a walk and enjoying the fresh air and the vitamin D from the sun. Yeah. When you get older, you know, I, the way that I get my older women and, you know, young adults to be active again, yeah. you have to be the example. So, you know, if to reach more people, if you look at my feed, you see a mixture of activity, you see a mixture of working out, you see a mixture of running because I, I do this mile a day challenge. So if you look at my stories, you see for the last today, 435 days, I have run a mile or more every day wow. for the last year plus. And it's just something you commit to. Mm -hmm. So you can, you help others commit by being the example. And I'm constantly the example. I'm constantly inviting people to go do this, that, or the other, any type of movement. Again, skating, that's like my all-time pastime. Skating, going for a walk, going for a run, going to a workout together. Um, in my community, we have a workout um, every Saturday. A trainer comes in, you can go to the gym and you, you, know, you do a little workout. I will text some of the women in my community, hey, do you wanna go downstairs and work out with me? It's just about putting it out there. And you never know, they may say yes, they may say no, that's their choice. But opening it up to them, opening up the possibility that, hey, you can spend 30 minutes with, you know, 30 minutes on yourself. And it's and it's about inviting them to commit to themselves. What what made you decide to go into coaching? I my coach, number one, Coach Keeler. I love the way that he inspired us to to go for what it is that one, we were good at because he, he saw the talent, but two, he made us see the talent that we had. Um, but also I think I have a knack for uh, being around and studying groups of people. My undergraduate degree is in sociology, which is the study of groups of people. And I love the way that my teams interacted when I was active and an athlete. I loved seeing that from the outside looking in. And so I, with my accolades, with 
my talent, I said to myself, you know, I wonder if I can do this myself. I wonder if I can translate what I have done from mouth to ears of someone else and they can replicate that in their own way. And the first time I did it, it was 2005, 2000, yeah, 2000, I think 2005, 2004. I coached at a local high school um, in North Carolina at the time. And we went, we took, I think, a, a good handful of people to the state competition. And I was an assistant on that team. And so each year after that, I saw, oh my gosh, this works. They're listening to what I'm saying and they're doing it. And so that means I'm communicating in a way that they get it. Yeah. And that was so, that that was when my light bulb went off. That's where the fire sparked. And I did it throughout the years between 2000, starting in, in 2004 and on and off. I've coached, um, mixed teams, men and women, boys and girls. I've coached at the middle school level, high school level, collegiate level. I've coached privately and I've coached all girls teams. And I have been able to replicate success for these athletes in their own right. I, you know, I've got state championships. I've got, um, conference champion, you know, conference championships with the teams that I've coached. And even as a head coach, I've been able to have, a team of assistants who can help me to build and create something great and yeah. something that these student athletes ha- can remember. Cause that's what it's about, right? You, you yeah. always like to have something to go back and remember and remember Absolutely. the good times and to be able to give that to students. Um, some students who've never heard of track and field, never played a sport before. And now you're going to the state meet. That's huge. Yeah. And they'll remember that the rest of their lives. Mm. One of the, the most beautiful things about, you know, the 21st century is that we get to hear stories of coaches. We get to hear, you know, coaches who may only need to talk for two minutes, you know, two minutes in a 15, you know, when given a 15 minute um, team talk. And then you might, and you compared, you may have other um, coaches who will talk for 14 out of those 15 minutes. My question to you is how did you develop your coaching voice? How did you develop that? Well, I have been deemed, and I didn't always accept it, but I've been deemed and titled a leader ever since I was in high school. And I didn't know what that meant. And I mean, high school from like freshman year. Yeah. You know, you have team captains. I've been a team captain on my track teams in college, in high school and in college every year. Yeah. And I didn't know why they chose me. Yeah. It's like, I mean, I'm just, I'm just LaShawn. I, I don't know what you, what do you want me to do? Yeah. But over time, it, it, to me, it meant that they valued what I would had to say. Yeah. They valued my energy and my time. So when, you know, one of my teammates would, would come to me and, they might be struggling with something maybe outside of track and field Yeah. to be able to say, Oh my gosh, I'm going to come. Can I, can I talk to you? Can I ask you a question? That meant something to me. And I, that meant I needed to show up as a higher version of yeah. myself. So that just followed me all through, all throughout school, all throughout high school, all throughout college. And I've always been told by some person or another that I'm a leader, that I have this power that they can't put their hands on, but they see it and they notice it. And I didn't always embrace it. Like I said, in the very beginning, I didn't even know what it meant to be a leader. Yeah. Uh, but over the years of just learning that it's, it's really, how can you be an impactful influencer and example to mm-hmm. people? Yeah. Something that they can can follow and emulate if they want to. Yeah. I think that that is the greatest role that I can embrace is being a leader 
And one thing that I say to myself, this is, this is kind of an affirmation I say to myself is that I am a leader who creates leaders who create leaders. Interesting. So, um, I'm actually reading a book on leaders um, from Simon Sinek, um, and it's called Leaders Eat Last. So I guess um, from my perspective, you know, I know what I believe um, the ingredients are of a leader. For you personally, what, what are the ingredients? What are the main ingredients that you believe that make a good leader? One, and this is, I think everyone can participate in leadership in this way, allowing people to be people giving them the space to grow in the way that is best for them um, is so important because again, we are not created all from this one cookie cutter mold. We all receive information differently. We all share information differently. And as a leader, it's up to us to have that discernment. And when, when we, or implement allow allowing people to be people yeah. then it gives one us the freedom to speak in a way to a person that they get it yeah and it gives the person that we're communicating with the freedom to be themselves and give their all because they're comfortable being themselves authentically okay. i definitely think that's number one allowing people to be people and thrive where right where they are number two i think you need to be a listener you have to be able to listen to people because again if something doesn't work so one thing i'll give an example um coaching styles right coaching styles are so different depending on the person you have you always hear if you have a head coach and assistant coach you have a good cop and a bad cop well I mean, I think everybody should have a little bit of both, you know, but I was always deemed the good cop. (laughs) And then when I became head coach of teams, I, I, I don't know if my students ever deemed me bad cop or if I even titled myself bad cop. Yeah. But being able to listen to people and, and communicate with them where, where they are is so important. You, You can't, you can't speak to everyone the same way. I didn't like negative reinforcement. You couldn't, you couldn't shout at me and cuss at me and, and tell me that I'm doing something wrong and then just yeah. let me go. Because yeah. then now I'm frozen, right? Yeah. Now I'm paralyzed. I'm like, I don't know what to do, so I'm just going to stop. <laughs> <laughs> but, <laughs> but if you spoke to me in a way that was um, what's called kind of a sandwich effect, right? Yeah. Yes. Tell me yes. what I'm doing. Tell me what, what worked, right? Yeah. Tell me what I get to improve on and then let me know again. All right. What I'm telling you is not you're doing wrong, but let's work with this right here. Yeah. And then reaffirm that reaffirm the fact that, Hey, this, this is working. Let's, let's keep doing this and, and let's do that. I think that's so important to be able to communicate in a way that your, your clients, your students, your student athletes get it. I'm also, I also have um, experience in teaching. So as an educator, it's the same thing. You have to know how to speak to these kids these days. You can't bark orders at people. That's not how we work. It's not how humans work. But I think among um, above everything else, allowing people to be people, meeting them where they are and listening are the best tools that you can have to be a leader. 100%. Is everyone reacts differently. Uh, I think when, when I compete, if I was told, if I was blasted that, that wouldn't work for someone like myself. But someone else can do that to them and you'll get the best out of them. So we're all different. Right, exactly. <laughs> oh my gosh. I, I mean, I have... And my same coach, Coach Keeler, he knew how to talk to us. So, you know, he could go and say something to somebody else that will get them and their adrenaline riled up and ready to go. But he knew if he said that same thing to me in that way, I was going to shut down. And I don't think it's a male female thing. I think it is a person person thing. (laughs) All individual. Okay. So Ed, I'm going to put you on the spot as well as (laughs) Sean. So my question to both of you. So I like to believe that we live in a very progressive society. So I guess my question to both of you um, is, 
can you see a female um, coaching a leading sports team in the next decade? Not a minor one, not a mid-card one, a major sports team. Oh boy. Adeline, what do you think? You know what? I think the people that will have an issue with it are not the people that are actually competing in the sport. I feel the everyone around it, so the people, the money people, they're the people that will have issues. Because I, from my experience, the best coach I ever had was a woman. And I don't see how someone being one sex should be um, a barrier in terms of whether they can do a, a role or not. Yeah. Right. I, you know, I was thinking the same thing. It's not it's not going to be the people that she coaches yeah. that are going to see her as less than. Yeah. And, and they're not going to see her as the problem. Because like I said, I have success from, you know, I've, I've, I've had my male athletes gain successes. Yeah. It's the people who are paying me. It's yeah. the people who are the owners of these programs and these organizations that would have an issue. And it might be a looking good conversation that they have with themselves. It might be a being right. They just want to be right that a woman can't do it. And if they're right, then guess what? That makes them look good. And if they look good, you know, that's status. Yes. So, so yeah, I, I, I totally agree with you. I, I can someone be in the next decade. I will say that I would not be surprised if a woman were at a higher ranked coaching position, maybe not head coaching position, but a higher ranked position in a major sport Yeah, where she would still be respected, where she would get the opportunity to shine in her position. I may, I think it might take a little bit longer to actually have her in a head position. Yeah. But I, I can see in the next 10 years where there would be a female assistant coach or female, let, let's use uh, American football. If she was head coach of like the running backs, you know, yeah. she, you know, she was, you know, head coach of, of, of the, this D line. Right. Yeah. And she still has a head position, but she's still an assistant to someone who is over the whole entire team. Yeah. Last question. So you mentioned very early on Flojo being um, one of your inspirations. Do you have any other sporting inspirations and why? Any other sport inspirations? Uh so this was a sport that I never did. I think at a point I probably became too tall for it, <laughs> but <laughs> I really loved gymnastics. I loved it. It's a beautiful sport. Uh, it's, it's a beautiful representation of what our bodies can do. Yeah. And this is from the male side and the female side. Yeah. And I loved um, one team that I really, really loved was the, well, I guess maybe two teams, the 92 team, the 92 women's gymnastic team, 96 women's gymnastic teams. I, um, Dominique Dawes, just, you know, when I see someone who looks like me doing a sport that I would love to do, but, you know, kind of grew out of it, right? It was, she was so dynamic and so poised and so regal in her position that it was someone that I, someone else that I really looked up to yeah. because it, it, that's a power sport, right? It's graceful, but it's powerful. And it was my first, it was, well, I guess in another sport outside of track and field, it was my first sight of someone who looked strong. Yeah. But didn't look strong, if that makes yeah. sense. Like yeah. she looked, she was powerful. Those gymnasts, they get, they get very muscular, Absolutely. but she didn't look like a man. She didn't yeah. look like, you know, she was too bulky. It was, it was just a great representation. And to, to me at the time, perfect. So, um, but then, and then when you would listen to her speak, you know, when you heard interviews, she was just very humble and very graceful about 
her delivery. I think that was something that I also appreciated too, is that you know, when you can speak well, when you can speak well for yourself and speak well for your team and representation of your team, that means a lot. And I mean, I think that's another area that we could totally use like an expert in is continuous media training. And uh, I think she did an amazing job in both of those arenas with her actual sport and being able to see her off, you know, out of character of her sport. It was just, yeah, that's probably my biggest other biggest fan. Thank you. Okay. LaShawn G. That was good. That was great. Thank you. That Thank was you fantastic. So much. We enjoyed it. What do you think? I enjoyed you guys. Absolutely enjoyed it. It's been a pleasure. It's been a pleasure. How, how can people get in contact with you? Well, I live, I live on Instagram <laughs> um, more, more so than other platforms. Um, I do dabble in Clubhouse. Um, I, I say something on Twitter from time to time, but I live on club. I, I live on Instagram at the LG underscore. So I just took my initials and I spelled my first initial spelled it out. E L L E. So it's T H E. E-L-L-E-G-E-E underscore. I know that's a lot of E's in there, but you got to have to make it clear for the people. Uh, But that's where I am on Instagram. I'm the same uh, handle on Twitter and Clubhouse. And my website, you can find all things discipline, wellness, habit building. And if you go back into the archives, you might find some fitness stuff in there too. Um, Also at dlg.com. Thank you so much. We could have gone on for another hour or two. Honestly, there's so <laughs> much. There's still so much to unpack. And um, as I said to a few of the guests, and definitely yourself, um, we definitely need you back on for a part two because you, you've got so much to give. And um, I definitely know that our listeners are getting some value. So really, really appreciate it, guys. Once again, um, thank you for listening. Um, please continue to share. If you are a new listener, welcome aboard. If you are a regular listener, thank you for your continued support. Until next time, guys, stay safe, stay healthy, and bless.